Well, good evening. Did you have a great time skiing this week? <laughs> That's great. Well, folks, we're going to learn how to study the Bible. And we're going to get right down to it. I'm not here to play games with you. We want to get right into how do you study the Bible. Now, Jesus said, as you know, in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, he said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. You're my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Time out. Time out. We're going to put on a lavalier. Oh, fantastic. Great. So what Jesus is saying here is that if you're not in the word, if you're not in the Bible on a consistent basis, you're not a disciple. That's one of the characteristics of a disciple. You continue in the word. So you need to know how to do it. How do you continue in the word? In Matthew 22, Jesus said, he said, talking to the Pharisees, he said, you err. He said, you are in error because of two things. And folks, all error in the world is a result of one of these two things. He said, you don't know the scripture or you don't know the power of God. Now, those two things, when you don't know the scripture and, and when you don't know the power of God, you're going to get yourself into all kinds of um, crazy beliefs. So it's important that you learn to study the Bible. Why don't people study it then? Well, simple. Number one, they just don't know how. They don't know how. All my life growing up, I went to church after church and Bible study to groups and everything. Everybody said the same thing. You ought to study your Bible. You ought to study your Bible. You ought to study your Bible. It's important, it's important, it's important. And I would go home, get out my Bible, and because I had no idea what to do, I would start reading a little bit, get bogged down, close the Bible, and give up for another three months and feel guilty. And I just discovered that most people, they don't need more exhortation. They just need some instruction. So I'm not here to convince you that it's important to read the Bible and study the Bible. I, I assume that that's why you're here, or one of the reasons why you're here in this particular session. So I'm not here to convince you that. I believe you want to study the Bible. We're just going to talk about how. Now, really, it is very simple. And once you understand some basic principles, I can equip you with some Bible study tools and some methods that uh, if you got stranded on a desert island for the rest of your life, you could keep yourself occupied with personal Bible study. And you wouldn't have to go to somebody else to find Bible content. You could get it directly from the Word of God. So that's what we're going to talk about. There are three stages, it's been said, in uh, your attitude toward Bible study. The first stage is the castor oil stage. And that's where it doesn't taste too good for you, but you know it's good for you. You know, you don't like it, but it's good for you. And that's when you're first starting the methods, that's how it is. Then uh, the next stage is, is what's called the cereal stage. And that's when it's dry, but it's nourishing. All of a sudden, you start getting a little bit more uh, of the methods under your belt, and you understand how it works, and you start to, to get some food out of it. Then the final stage is uh, what I call a peaches and cream stage, and that's where it really gets a lot of fun. And, and I want to tell you, Bible study is fun if you just know how to do it. And anybody can do it. I'm going to teach you a very simple method tonight. I'm going to teach you another one tomorrow morning and another one tomorrow night. Three basic methods that um, will keep you going for a long time. We're going to talk tonight about the devotional method. But before I want to do that, I want to give you five general principles of Bible study. So get out a piece of paper, if you haven't already, and I would encourage you to, to write these down. Five basic principles of Bible study. 
Now, in my book, we talk about 12 different methods of study. And uh, we will be looking at a few of these tonight and, and tomorrow. But the principles that I'm going to give you now in the next five minutes will apply regardless of the method that you choose to use. These are, are just universal principles that whether you're going to do a thematic study or background study or character study or word study or whatever, you will uh, use these principles in your Bible study. Okay? Number one, first principle. Number one, the secret of good Bible study. The secret of good Bible study is simply knowing how to ask the right kind of questions. The secret of good Bible study is simply knowing how to ask the right kind of questions. The main difference between all 12 of these different methods are, are just the type of questions you ask. You ask one type of question in one method. You have to ask another type of question in another method. You ask, uh, you know, on and on. And depending on the number of questions you ask and the type of questions you ask, that's the only difference in these methods. The secret is just simply taking a scripture and learning to ask questions about it. And asking questions is a skill that you will develop. You'll get better at it. When, you know, when I, when I first started the Bible study, I, I'd read it and I only knew one, uh, one question. What does it mean? That's the only question I knew. What does it mean? Well, that's a good question. But there are literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of questions you can ask about any particular text. And the more you ask those questions, the more you're going to get out of the Bible. So I'm going to teach you how to be a detective. I'm going to teach you how to go to the Bible and be inquisitive, to, to ask questions. And the more questions that you bomb a particular text with, the more you're going to get out of it. There's no limit. So just... The main thing I want you to do is develop an inquisitive mind. All right? Number two, second basic principle of Bible study. You haven't really thought about it until you've written it down. That's the principle. You haven't really thought about it until you've written it down, until you put it on paper. The main difference between Bible reading and Bible study is that in Bible study, you make notes. You cannot study the Bible without making some kind of notes. You can read it, you can meditate on it, but you cannot study it without making some notes. So you want to, to use a pen and a paper and, and sit down and, and make, some, make some notes on what you've studied. Now, on each of these methods that we cover today and tomorrow and also the other ones that are in the book, you'll find that there are forms which you can use. And you can use the forms, or you can throw out the forms. It doesn't matter. The only reason I made forms is just to give somebody something, a place to write. So if you don't want to use the form, that's okay. Just get some blank paper. But make sure you write down what you see. You know, we're here in the Navigator headquarters, and it was Dawson Trotman, that man right there on the wall. Hey, I didn't even see you guys up there. Hi. <laughs> what is this, the upper room or something? That's great. That's very good. This guy right here on the wall, Dawson Trotman, he made a statement that influenced my life a long time ago. He said this, thoughts disentangle themselves when they pass through the lips and the fingertips. In other words, if I can say it and I can write it down, then it's going to be clear. But if, if I just got it up here in my mind and I can't put it on paper, it is vague. And so one of the things you want to do in Bible study is write down what you see. Make notes. Somebody said the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. And so you want to write it down and you'll have it there forever. Use a pen and pencil. Number three, the third general principle of Bible study. 
the ultimate goal of Bible study, the ultimate goal of Bible study is application, not just interpretation. The ultimate goal of Bible study is application, not just interpretation. What am I saying there? In the final analysis, if you don't apply the Bible to your life, you've wasted the study. D.L. Moody said the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge. It was given to change our lives. So that's what you want to do. And in every one of these methods, the final step in every method is the word application. Application. And I'm going to teach you tonight because devotional study is really a, a, simply a way to write an application. That's what it is. And, and what we do tonight in the devotional study right here, in every other method that follows it, the final step is the same thing as the devotional method. It, it is an application of scripture to your life. All of the study you do is, is valueless if in the final analysis it doesn't change you. You see, I learned a long time ago it is possible to know the Word of God and not know the God of the Word. The Pharisees were brilliant Bible students. They could quote Scripture backwards and forwards and had the first five books of the Bible memorized, but they were lousy Christians, lousy believers. They had not really applied it in their lives. Somebody asked me a couple years ago, said, Rick, what's the best translation? And I said, the best translation is when you translate the Bible into your life. So he says, you know, I, I, just got a, I just got a living Bible. Man, you ought to be a living Bible. Okay? Vance Adner said, every Christian is either a Bible or a libel. All right? You're either a positive witness or you're a negative one. You're not neutral. So you want to apply the scripture into your life. The problem is that many people go from Bible study to Bible study to church to church Filling up on all of this head knowledge, they go to church and they eat all of this spiritual food and they get fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter and they never apply it in their lives, so they never exercise. You know, it's just intake, 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 and they get fatter and fatter, so fat that finally you just have to roll them down the aisle to get them in the church. And that's where we get the term holy rollers. <laughs> By the way, let me just say this. When you go to study the scripture... Don't go looking for that secret, mystical, esoteric truth that nobody else has ever seen before. That, that is typical. That's what we always want to do. You know, I want to go find, I want to go read John 3.16 and find a new way to interpret it. Okay? And, and, and it, don't just go trying to find something in the Bible that nobody else has ever seen before. Because I guarantee you this, if you come up with an interpretation that nobody agrees with, you're wrong. <laughs> you're just wrong. You know, it's kind of presumptuous to say, oh, God overlooked 2,000 years of Christianity and revealed this truth to little old me. If it's true, it's not new. Because truth has been around for thousands of years. So if it's true, somebody else has seen it before. And if you come up with an interpretation of Scripture nobody else agrees with, it's just simple. You're wrong. Number four, fourth principle of Bible study. God's Word deserves to be studied systematically. 
God's word deserves to be studied systematically. In other words, in a chapter by chapter, verse by verse, topic by topic, systematic method. And one of the reasons I wrote this book is because I found so many hundreds and even thousands of Christians who had such a shipshod, lazy way of studying the Bible. And they, they didn't know how to just take a chapter and study it in a systematic manner. Or how to take a book of the Bible and study it. Or how to study every verse on a particular character of the Bible. And they're just kind of flipping back and forth, here and there. And, you know, this, I, I really believe that this haphazard study of the Word of God is an insult to the Bible. Folks, this is the Word of God. I believe it from cover to cover. I believe the cover if it says genuine leather. <laughs> and it deserves to be studied in a systematic manner. You know, most of you have been guilty of, from time to time, of what I call the cafeteria-style approach to Bible study. It's late at night, you're feeling guilty, you ought to have read your Bible, so sitting on your bed in your dorm room, you flip open the Bible and put your finger down. And that's where you start, and that's where you end. And then, tomorrow night, you flip it open and you put your finger down again. It's kind of the dip and skip method. Okay? You know, you just kind of flip back around here and that you never you're not going to get a whole lot out of the Bible that way. In fact, you might get some bad ideas that way if you don't know what's happening. You know, you've heard this story so many times, but about the guy who opened the Bible and put his finger down it and it said uh, he said, God, I want to know your will today. And he opened the Bible, put his finger down and it said, Judas went out and hung himself. <laughs> and he thought. Surely, that couldn't be right. So he closed the Bible again. He said, okay, God, show me your will. And he opened the Bible again. And he put his finger down and it said, go thou and do likewise. <laughs> and he thought, no, come on, Lord, two out of three, two out of three. So he opens the Bible a third time, puts the finger down and it said, and what thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> Now, you know, that's the kind of result you're going to get if you had this haphazard, dip-and-skip, cafeteria-style method of Bible study. You need to learn to study it in a systematic manner. That's what we're going to talk about. Learn to, And by the way, don't overlook any particular portion of the Bible. Most of us, we like to read Psalms, Proverbs, and the Gospels. And, you know, what about the rest of the Bible? It's all inspired. It's not all as easily to understand as that, but it's all inspired. Some of you are going to be pretty embarrassed when you get to heaven, and one day Haggai comes up to you and says, Hey, how'd you like my book? <laughs> and you're going to say, Oh, oh, Mr. Habakkuk, I didn't even know you were in the Bible. When you study the Bible in a systematic manner, it's basically, it's like baking a cake. When my wife bakes a cake, she, she puts the ingredients in at the proper time. Now, if she puts them in at the wrong time, it ruins the cake. I mean, you don't put eggs and sugar in, bake it, pull it out, and put in the shortening. It doesn't taste so good. What do you do? You put them all in in a proper order. 
Actually, being a good Bible student is very similar to being a good detective. That's why I used that term just a couple minutes ago. Because in a, a, basically, a detective does five things. And these are five things that you're going to do regardless of the method that you choose to use to study the Bible. What do you do? Well, the first thing a good detective does is he just looks. He comes to the scene of the crime, and the first step is simply observation. He looks at everything. And he looks here at the clues, and he looks at the blood stained on the floor, and he looks at the fingerprints, and he, he looks. All he does is look. He doesn't draw any conclusions. He doesn't talk to anybody. He just looks. And that's the first thing you do in Bible study. You simply read it. And you read it again. And you read it again. And you read it over, and you read it over. And the more you read it, the more you're going to get out of it. So he simply looks for clues. Then the second thing the detective does, and the second thing a good Bible student does, is he begins to ask questions. Where were you on the night of the 14th? What were you doing at that point in, in your life? Why were you here? Why were you there? And he asked questions. And as I said, the secret of good Bible study is what? Let's try it again. The secret of good Bible study is asking the right questions. That's right. That's it. So you ask questions. First you look at the text, then you ask questions. Then the third thing that uh, the uh, detective does is he begins to interpret the clues. Interpretation, that's the next step. And he begins to interpret the clues. And he says, I wonder what that means. Hmm. There is a head laying over there in the corner. I wonder if that means somebody got hurt. You know? And, and he begins to ask questions in a... Did that thing just go out? Sure did. Light bulb just burned out. Uh, he asks questions in a systematic format. And then he begins to interpret them so that he can discover the clues. The next step that he does, after he interprets them, he begins to correlate them. Or in other words, he begins to piece the facts together. This clue fits with this clue over here. That clue fits with that clue over there. And he begins to fit it all together, kind of like a jigsaw puzzle, so you can see the whole picture. And that's what you're going to learn to do in Bible study, how to take a verse over here and see how it relates to a verse over here and how that relates to a verse over there. And you correlate it all together. Then finally, the last thing that he does is he draws a conclusion. He draws a conclusion. And that's what you're going to do. You're going to learn to draw conclusions in your Bible study. But all of it is done in a systematic manner. Now, in those 12 methods... Because that's just burnout, huh? Oh, okay. Okay, well, I can write on the blackboard, doesn't matter. Um, all of the things must be done in a systematic order, in a systematic format, not out of order. Sorry, I'll just use the blackboard. It's okay. Number five, the fifth principle. The fifth principle is this. You can never exhaust the truths in any one passage of Scripture. You can never exhaust the truths in any one passage of Scripture. In other words, you can take a, a chapter and you can dig and dig and study and read and dig and get ideas and get more ideas and get more ideas and more ideas and you'll never hit bottom. Why? Because this is a supernatural book. It is a supernatural book. 
And it is, you're not just like reading Shakespeare, but there is no limit to the number of applications that you can find in a particular text. So I would say just stick with it. The attitude that you want to have in Bible study is the attitude that um, Jacob had when he wrestled with the angel. And he said, I'm not going to let go till you bless me. And that's the attitude you want to have studying the scripture. God, I'm going to read this passage of scripture and I'm not going to let go until you bless me with the truth, until you bless me with an idea, until you give me some insight out of this scripture. And that's the kind of attitude God will honor. Now let's talk about a method of Bible study. We're going to talk about the devotional method. And I've got some forms here, but I'm not going to be able to show them to you. So let me just talk to you about the devotional method. Take out that little form that says the devotional method. Oh, here we go. The devotional method is summarized in three words. They're the three words on your form. They are... Got them? No, that's not it. <laughs> Meditation. I'll just focus it on my chest here. <laughs> That's a little better. Well, you can't see it anyway. The three words are meditation, application, and memorization. Those are the three steps of the devotional method. This is the simplest method of Bible study. It is a method that you can do without any Bible tools. It is a method you can do anywhere. All you need is a Bible and know these three words in your mind. And you can get it down. So let's talk about it. <laughs> okay. Okay, I got it. Oh. How do you meditate? How do you meditate on the on the Bible? I'm going to give you four ways to meditate. <laughs> Can you focus on that guy right up there? <laughs> How do you meditate on the Bible? What is meditation anyway? You know, for a long time I thought meditation meant cross your legs in a funny manner, put your hands like this and go, um, um. And, and you know, you just kind of put your mind in neutral and contemplate the fuzz in your navel. And I thought that's what meditation was all about. If you were to look up the word meditation in the, bi in, in the dictionary, the word meditation, the synonym for meditation is the word rumination. I would say, great, that helps a lot. <laughs> what is rumination? You know what rumination is? You know what that is, Clark? No. I, rumination is what a cow does when it chews its cud. 
It chews up that grass, swallows it, lets it sit there in its stomach for a while, burps it back up <laughs> with renewed flavor, <laughs> chews on it a little bit more, and swallows it. Now, what in the world is that cow doing? It is straining every ounce of energy, nutrition, and nourishment that it can out of that grass. It is thoroughly digesting the grass. And that's what meditation is. It is thought digestion. Meditation is thought digestion. It means to seriously think about something over and over and over and over and over until you have thoroughly digested the meaning of that verse. Thought digestion. Now, some of you I know right now are thinking, Rick, I have tried that, and I just can't do it. I can't meditate. Let me ask you this. How many of you know how to worry? God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. Thank you. Is there another? Thank you. God bless you. Um, let's count them all, okay? We had 100 decisions tonight. Great. All right. Um, if you can med if you can worry, you can meditate. You know why? Because all worry is is it's negative meditation. When you take a bad idea and you think on it over and over and over, it's called worry. When you take a good idea and think on it over and over and over, it's called meditation. Now, if you know how to worry, you already know how to meditate. All you have to do is take the idea and instead of taking a fear or something that's a problem and thinking about it, take the Word of God and think on it over and over and over and over and over. There is nothing mystical about meditation. It just means seriously thinking about what you have read in the Scripture. Now, let me give you some ways to meditate. All right? Here are some ways to meditate. One of the ways you can meditate is to picture it. Picture it. What I suggest you do there is if you're reading a passage of scripture, just stop, close your eyes, and visualize the scene in your mind. If you're with Jesus walking down the, the road, visualize that in your mind. If Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, think to yourself, how would I feel if I were that woman? How would I feel if I were the disciples hearing what he's saying? Visualize <laughs> the scene in your mind. That's one way you can meditate on scripture. Another way you can meditate is to paraphrase it. Paraphrase it. When you take the scripture and you write it out in your own words, you are meditating on it. Just take it and write it out, rewrite it out. There was a man named Kenneth Taylor who took the Bible, meditated on it, and wrote out his meditations, and as a result, we got the Living Bible. The Living Bible is the paraphrase of Kenneth Taylor. David meditated on the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, wrote his personal applications down, and we got the Psalms. They are, they are meditations. So you can paraphrase it. A third way that you can meditate on Scripture is to pronounce it. Pronounce it. What you do is you take, take a Bible verse, and you just say it out aloud. You just, you just repeat it aloud, emphasizing a different word each time, pronouncing a different word. If you know John 14, 6, would you say the first phrase with me? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life.
Okay, now let's just think about that phrase. Jesus said, I am the way. Now, if we were going to meditate on that using the method of pronouncing it, the first thing we do is we would say it emphasizing the first word, I. Then we'd say it again, emphasizing the second word, M. Then we'd say it again, emphasizing the third word, the. And then fourth time, the way. Okay? And you just pronounce it each time. Let's try it. Let's pronounce it using the first letter. Emphasize the first word. Jesus said, I am the way. And you stop and you think about that. I am the way. He didn't say, church is the way. He didn't say, being baptized is the way. He didn't say, being good is the way. He didn't say, Buddha is the way. He didn't say, keeping high moral standards is the way. He said, I am the way. All right, now let's say it again, emphasizing the second word. Jesus said, I am the way. Hmm, now think about that. I am. Boy, that's pretty strong. He didn't say, I might be the way. He didn't say, I, I, I hope I'm the way. He didn't say, I'd like to be the way. <laughs> he said, I am the way. You see the different meaning you got just by emphasizing different words? All right, let's say it again, emphasizing the third word. Jesus said, I am the way. Did you get the difference there? Jesus didn't say, I'm one way. He didn't say, I'm a good way. He didn't even say, I'm the best way. He said, I am the way. Period. He said, no other alternative. I am the way. He's either who he says he was, or he's the biggest liar in history. He made greater claims for himself than anybody. No one else has ever claimed that. I am the way. All right, let's say it again, saying the fourth word. Jesus said, I am the way. The way. The way to what? Stop me thinking about that. The way to heaven? Yeah. But more than that. The way to happiness? Yes. The way to purpose in life? Yes. The way to peace and fulfillment? Yes. You see, each time you pronounce it, you're going to get a different feeling of the scripture. So that's another way that you can meditate on it. Let me give you another one. This I don't have that one written down there. But you can personalize it. Personalize it. And when you personalize it, what you do is you take the scripture... And you put your name in place of the personal pronouns. For instance, John 3.16. You've done this. For God so loved Rick Warren that if Rick would believe in him, Rick would not perish, but Rick would have everlasting life. That says a lot more to me than just in a general state. So you can put your name in it. Personalize it. Make it apply to you as a person. Then the next way that you can meditate on it is to probe it. You probe it. And what you do there is you ask a series of nine questions that will help you meditate on the scripture. All right, probe it. 
I'm going to give you a set, set of nine questions here that you can ask. You've seen many of these before. And they're in a little uh, format that uh, I've been using now for about eight or nine years that I call space pets. So just think of a, a little doggy in an astronaut outfit, you know, or, or a cat up in space, or the, you know, the Jetsons pet, something like that. Space pets. And write down these nine questions on how to meditate on the scripture. Each letter, S-P-A-C-E-P-E-T-S, stands for a, a different uh, question. The first question, is there a sin to confess? As you're reading the Bible, just if you will take these nine questions, write them right inside the front of your Bible. And that way, anytime you go to even just read the Bible, you can open this up and remember these. It will help you get a lot out of the scripture. Even better than that is just to memorize them. And then you'll have them down. Is there a sin to confess? As I'm reading along and I, you know, I read about somebody who really blew it. I've been in our men's Bible study at my church. We've been studying the life of David for four months now. And that guy was so much like a, a, he was just a human being. He was amazing. He wasn't on a pedestal. He had a lot of problems in his life. And I found a lot of sins that I needed to confess that were evident in David's life. They were reminders to me. Sin to confess. The second thing to look for, P, promise to claim. Is there a promise to claim? There are over 7,000 promises in this book. They are like blank checks at which you may draw on as a Christian. But you cannot draw on them if you don't know them. So study the scripture and look for promises to claim. Promises like, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Promises like, lo, I am with you always. Promises like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Promises like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Promises like, call unto me and answer me, and, and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things that you know not. Promises like, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. 7,000 promises. Is there a promise to claim in the scripture? The third thing you can look for, this one gets me every time, is there an attitude to change? And I, I look, if I'm reading about a particular character, I say, now God, is there an attitude in this guy that he has that I need? Or is there an attitude that this guy is, is modeling that I have and I don't need? Is there an attitude to change? C. Is there a command to obey? Is there a command to obey? There are some specific commands in Scripture that we are to obey. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go into all the world and make disciples. Lots of commands in Scripture. Look for them. Right, is there a command to obey? And E, is there an example to follow? You're reading about a particular person in the Bible? Is there an example to follow? Okay, that's the space part. Now the, the pets. Is there a prayer to pray? Is there a prayer to pray? You know, there are a lot of prayers in the Bible. And you know, you could pray those prayers and know they will always be answered because they're in the will of God. They're in the Bible. Do you know that Paul starts off almost every one of his letters with a prayer. Now, folks, anytime you want to pray any of Paul's prayers for me, go right ahead. 
because I know they will be answered because they are in the will of God. They're in the Bible. So is there a prayer to pray? I know a lady who, when she became a Christian, she didn't know how to pray. And so she began to read the Psalms, many of which are prayers. And she said, God, I don't know how to pray. So I'm going to just read the Psalm today. And this Psalm will be my prayer to you. That lady has the most dynamic prayer life of anyone I know today. Because her prayers are based on the Word of God. And I, I really love to hear her pray. Prayer to pray. E, is there an error to avoid? An error to avoid. Reading all about the life of Samson, there's an error to avoid. Don't get a haircut. <laughs> error to avoid. All right? T, is there a truth to believe? Is there a truth to believe? There are a lot of things in Scripture that you can't do anything about. You just need to accept them. Maybe a, a truth about God, a truth about the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the truth about the Holy Spirit, the truth about the devil, the truth about the world, a truth about yourself, the truth about salvation. Is there a truth simply to believe? And then finally, S, is there something to praise God for? I always try to find one thing when I'm studying the Bible that I can thank God for and just say, boy, God, thanks for that. Something to thank God for. All right. Well, since you guys are college students, we're going to have a little test. All right? And don't look at your papers. No cheating, or you have to confess it later. So, Okay. S is what? You got it, see? P. Promise to claim. A. Attitude to change. C. Command to obey. E. Example to follow. Good. Now, P. Prayer, prayer to pray. E. Error, error to avoid. T. Truth to believe. And S. You get an A. All right. Very good. Now, what you have just done is you have learned just some simple, practical ways to meditate. And the first step in, in, in the devotional method is meditation. You just read a scripture and use one of these methods to help dig out the meaning of it. All right, the next step, after you have meditated on it, then you want to apply it to your life. Application. Now, how do you apply Scripture to your life? Well, you want to write down a project that will help you put into practice what you have just read and studied. And you want to, in that little form, write down an application that you could work on in the coming weeks. Now, there are four qualifying factors for good application. Number one, it ought to be personal. When you write out your application, write it out in the first person. Say, I need to... For instance, if you've been, you've been uh, reading the verse on... Uh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplications make your request be made known unto God. It, you know, it says, don't worry about anything. You know, that, that is one of the two hardest verses in the Scripture. I, in my opinion, the two most difficult verses in the Bible are, 
don't worry about anything. And the other one is, be thankful in everything. Now, that's got to be the two hardest scriptures in the Bible. But you'd write that out, and you, you, you don't write out, my roommate needs to quit worrying. <laughs> or, every Christian should, should not worry. No, say, I, me, I, mine, I need to. All right? needs to be personal. The second qualification of a good application, write it out in a way that it is practical. In a practical way. It ought to be, it ought to be something you can do, a project, a specific task that you can do. It should be a, a practical um, action. Number three, it ought to be possible. Possible. If you can't do it, you're just going to get discouraged. I mean, you, you, you read the verse, John 8, 31, it says, you know, if you continue in my word, you'll, you're truly my disciples. And so you say, boy, I really need the Bible. I need to read the Bible. So you, you write down an application. I am going to read the Bible nine hours a day. You're not even going to attempt that. Just make it simple. It's better to say, I'm going to read the Bible five minutes a day and do it. And to say, I'm going to read the Bible an hour a day and do it for one day. So, start where you can start. Make it possible. Personal, practical, possible. And then the fourth step, it needs to be provable. Provable. In other words, you need to set a deadline on your application. How will I know when I have accomplished this application of Scripture to my life? It ought to be provable. You write, you write down a, a deadline. So let's say, you know, you're, uh, you're reading the Scriptures. And you read Ecclesiastes 6-7. One of my favorite verses. If, if, if you are wanting to go on a diet, you ought to write down Ecclesiastes 6-7 and put it on your refrigerator door. Ecclesiastes 6-7 says, All the labor of man is for the mouth, and yet the appetite is never filled. I say amen to that one. Now you read that and you say, Now I need to get control of my appetite. And so what do you do? Well, at first down you say, I need to. That's personal. I. I need to lose some weight. That's practical. I need to lose 10 pounds. That's possible. I need to lose 10 pounds within a month and a half. That's provable. See what you've done? You've gotten very specific and you have taken a, a verse out of Scripture and you have definitely applied it into your life in a practical way. Now, if you are really brave to help you carry out that application... Tell a friend about it. Or, or, or if you're married, tell your wife. Uh, they will be more than happy to check up on you. 